Bible has said, God put my sin in the depths of the sea and put up a sign that said, no fishing. 1 John chapter 5, I want you to look at verse number 4 again. <clears throat> I'm preaching this morning on the subject of mountains and victories. Mountains and victories. We're going for the next few weeks to talk about uh, victory. We're going to talk about the victory campaign. Christ died that we could live in victory. I'm thankful for that. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse number 4, the Bible said, uh, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. Now you see a lot of uh, advertisements about how to cope with this and cope with that and cope with this and cope with that. I'm glad he didn't save me to make me a coper, but he made me an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. And then the Bible says, and this is the victory. Victory is not the absence of an enemy, it's the defeat of one. It's not easy, but it is the defeat of one. It is victory, the victory that overcometh the world. Now, friend, that's a big victory when you can overcome the world in Christ. That's a big victory. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd bless in the preaching of your word today. May we go away understanding that the struggles and the battles that we are in today are the only thing that can produce victory in our life. And I pray that our faith in you would be increased so that victory can be enjoyed in our life. I ask you to fill me with your spirit and power as I preach this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The Christian life is a life of victories. In fact, we live from Victory to victory. The Bible says we live by faith to faith or victory to victory. Throughout the word of God, there are mountains that represent not only a challenge, but they represent victories in the Christian life. I don't have time to teach about each of them in detail this morning, but I do want to talk about each of those mountains and they are things that we face in our life and they are what brings victory in our lives. I desire, my heart's desire as a preacher of the gospel, as a pastor of this church, to help everyone I can to experience victory in the Christian life. You understand this morning that we are on the winning side. You're in a battle, you're in a struggle, and there's so many areas of life, but without those battles, without those struggles, we can't have victory. Because victory is not the absence of an enemy, it is the defeat of one. As I prayed through the various groups of folks and activities and ministries of our church this morning, our church and its ministries are designed for one thing, after folks are saved, to help them enjoy that age, that stage of life in victory. I want our children to enjoy church. It's a blessing to us. I think it's a blessing to them. It's a blessing to us to watch them just get up and put their offering in the little church on Sunday morning and during the services. 
It's a blessing for them to know, hey, I'm going to church, and many of them had their Bibles this morning and ready for church and the offering, and I want children to enjoy. Uh, uh, folks, we don't need to act like we've been sentenced to Christianity. Christianity sets us free from the bondage of sin. And from our nursery to the Sunday school, from the teen department to summer camp, at Circle C Baptist Ranch, from our Christian school to the Bible college, from the distribution of gospel tracts to the soul winning programs, from the weekly church services to our annual conferences, our heart's desire is to grow in grace and to experience victory in the Christian life. As you go through the Bible, you find different mountains. I'm going to name eight mountains uh, in the Bible and tell you just a little bit about them and how they can represent victory uh, in our life. One of the first mountains you read about in the Bible is Mount Sinai. You know what happened at Mount Sinai? That's where God met Moses and God gave Moses the law. He gave him the Ten Commandments. God wrote them with his fingers uh, on uh, tablets of stone, and he gave them uh, to Moses. Now, when I think of what God did there at Mount Sinai, God gave Moses the law. He was actually giving him a representation of who he was, just as in John chapter 1 where the Bible says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word being Jesus, the Word becomes Jesus, and Jesus was truth. He was righteousness. He was right, and he came into the world. A lot of folks didn't like him because it made them recognize who they are. You see, I'm, I feel good about myself as long as I can compare myself to someone that's lazy. I didn't mean to look at you when I said that. Uh, if I look to somebody that's lazy or somebody that doesn't do right, and if I can find somebody that makes me feel better about myself, ah, but when Jesus came, he is truth. He is righteousness. In the Old Testament, God gave Moses the law. Now, you'll never understand a single victory in life until you understand what happened at Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai was the giving of the law. The law was never given to make anyone right or righteous. The law is like a plumb line. The law is like a ruler. I have watched them work out here uh, this week again, and, and they don't use a plumb line. They use a laser light. And it puts, a, it puts a laser light on the floor and they put the wall right up against that light as they, as they lay it out. That laser light has never made a wall straight. You can leave it on until the batteries go dead and it'll never straighten a crooked wall. It's not given to straighten a crooked wall. What it's given is to show an example to show what's right. Now the Bible says... For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I might feel good about myself in a sin-cursed world, but when I turn the laser light of who God is and His righteousness and His holiness, I come short of the glory of God. We need to understand this morning that there are none of us that have the right nor the ability to enter into heaven 
on our own merit what we've done or who we are. We've all come short of the glory of God. And that was the purpose of the giving of the law. I meet folks all the time. They say, I think I'm going to go to heaven when I die. How do you know that? Well, I live a pretty good life. Somehow folks think if they pay their taxes and go to church now and again, I feel like I've been robbed every time I pay taxes. It doesn't make me feel righteous at all. I feel like I've been a part of a crime scene. But anyway, uh, they feel like if they've done a few things that they're going to go to heaven. Oh, we have to understand the law was given not to make me just, not to make me right, but to show me that I am a sinner and I am in need of help. Now I'm glad that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And when you stand at Mount Sinai and you recognize I am a sinner, I have broken the laws of God, I have broken the commandments of God. And he said when you've broken the least of these, you've broken all of the law, I then can get to the next mountain. And I love to talk about the next mountain and I can stay here for the next hour, but I won't, and that is Mount Calvary. What a wonderful place Mount Calvary is where Jesus paid it all, and all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it as white as snow. The songwriter said, alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die. Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight. And now I'm happy all the day. I'm thankful for that mountain called Mount Calvary. I'm thankful for the place where the Lord Jesus hung between heaven and earth and was crucified to pay for your sin and mine. It was that day as Jesus hung on the cross of Calvary that the sun refused to shine and the Father turned his back on the Son as our sin was placed on him. Oh, dear friend, when you sing about the cross, when you sing about Calvary, when you sing about the shed blood, you ought to go to that mountain, that mountain of Calvary in your mind and say, thank God for that mountain, though it was a place where Christ died, it was a place where I received eternal life. By the way, I'm glad as Jesus was taken from the cross of Calvary and he was placed in that borrowed tomb. I'd like to emphasize that borrowed tomb. By the way, I don't know if anybody around here leases graves or not, but I just need a borrowed one too because when the resurrection takes place, I'm going to heaven. Right? They put him in a borrowed tomb and after three days and nights on that first uh, on that uh, morning, on that first day of the week, Christ arose from the grave and they asked uh, uh, where he was and the angel said, uh, why seek ye the uh, living among the dead? He is not here for he is risen. Thank God for that empty tomb. Calvary, it was a place of death. It was a place where uh, uh, Jesus became poor. He was wealthy, but he became poor because I was poor, and so I could become rich in him. By the way, I'm still not going to heaven anything I've done since salvation because when he saved me, he forgave me of my sin and gave me his righteousness, and that's why we are saved. That mountain represents the victory of salvation. There's another mountain, it's Mount Pisgah. 
P-I-S-G-A-H. It's also called Mount Nebo. It's the same place, Mount Nebo. This is the mountain uh, where Moses stood, where he could see into the land of Canaan. Mount Pisgah, Mount Nebo. It's a place where he could see Canaan. Canaan represents heaven. This is where we can see our heavenly home. Aren't you glad this world's not our home? We're just passing through. Our treasures, they're laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I'm glad that Jesus said in John uh, chapter 14, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, and if I go and prepare a place, I'll come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica and said, For I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, them also will God bring with him. I'm thankful that at Mount Nebo you can look into Canaan. When I look into Canaan, I do not see some things there that I see every day here there is no prayer list in, in Canaan for those that are sick. There is no prayer list in Canaan for those uh, at, that are at the point of death because there's no sickness, there's no sorrow. There is no death in the land of Canaan. Stand this morning on Mount Nebo and look into, Mount, and look into the land of Canaan and say, Thank God there'll not be a hearse in Canaan. Uh, there'll not be a funeral parlor in Canaan. Uh, there'll not be a hospital in Canaan. Heaven is a wonderful place. Take a look at it from Mount Nebo or from Mount Pisgah this morning. By the way, it's our motivation. It's our encouragement. It's our source of comfort as we stood here on Tuesday morning. My heart was broken, and, it was a, and it's, it's a selfish hurt. As I, and I thought of Brother Dixon this morning. That I stood here Tuesday, and it's hard not to think about what we've enjoyed and that we won't have that anymore as far as that relationship. You know what our comfort is? You know what our hope is? You know what our encouragement is? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we look just above our sorrows and we see that he's enjoying the land of Canaan. You have loved ones there. I have loved ones there. We have church members, friends, family that are in the place called heaven. How wonderful that it is. There's Mount Pisgah. Then there's Mount Tabor. Don't say it out loud, but do you know what happened on Mount Tabor? Mount Tabor was a mountain of transfiguration. It was a mountain, it was a place where Christ was transfigured. You see, Christ, God humbled himself. Philippians chapter 2. And he took upon him the form of a servant. He came in flesh. Jesus doesn't just want to hear our prayers. He understands our prayers. For you see, Jesus, he was, in, he was God in flesh. He knew what it was to be hungry. He knew what it was to be thirsty. He knew what it was to be brokenhearted. When Lazarus had died and Mary and Martha were weeping, the Bible says that Jesus wept. 
But on Mount Tabor or the Mount of Transfiguration, it was there that Christ was transfigured. It was there that they saw not just the flesh, but they saw the deity. They saw God. You see, it was there uh, that uh, he was transfigured. And later, uh, when they would be in, in a room, Jesus did not walk into the room coming through the door. He just appeared to them. And they had seen his flesh, but now they see he's not just the representation of God. He is God himself. By the way, that picture's a victory in my life and in yours. You see, before I was saved, I lived the best life I could in the flesh. But when I received Christ as Savior, and when you received Christ as Savior, the Holy Spirit came inside you to empower you to live a life that you couldn't live. Don't get too excited. To empower you to live a life you couldn't live in the flesh. And Paul said in Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, the life that I now live, I live in the, in the flesh. I live in the faith of the Lord Jesus. I live a new life. Paul at one time was a persecutor of the church. He would arrest and even have killed Christians. He stood there as Stephen the deacon was stoned to death. Ah, but on the Damascus road, he not only was saved, his life was changed there. It was transfigured. He received the Holy Spirit of God and he became a new creature in Christ. I'm glad what I cannot do in the flesh, I can do in the spirit. I don't want to be a preacher in the flesh. I get nervous in the flesh. I'm afraid of you. You ought to come up here and look at yourself one of these days. I'm afraid of all you looking at me. I wonder sometimes if I say what I'm thinking or if I read what I'm looking at. I don't want to do that in the flesh. Ah, but thank God when he saved me, he put within me the Holy Spirit of God and I can do what I couldn't do. I want to do what I didn't want to do. Hey, the songs we used to sing, we don't sing them anymore. There's been a great change since we have been born again. And the mountain of transfiguration is a picture of the change that takes place in our life when we receive the Holy Spirit of God. There's that little mountain. It's a small place of Gethsemane. Gethsemane is described as a garden. It is across the Kidron Valley, and it is on the Mount of Olives. It is about a mile-long ridge, and it parallels the eastern part of Jerusalem. If you were looking down uh, at a map and saw a topographical map of that, it was here that Jesus prayed this prayer. Not my will, but thine be done. You see, he had taken the form of flesh, so he knew pain. He knew rejection. He knew hatred. He knew emotion. He knew that. And he prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, and the Bible says, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured 
uh, he despised the shame. He endured the suffering for the joy that was set before him. And Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father. The will of the Father was that Jesus would die in your place and in mine. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been to the Mount of Gethsemane in your life and you said to the Father, Lord, I don't want to do my will on this earth. I want to do your will. You see, that mountain is a mountain of challenge, but it's a mountain of victory. So often the devil will say to us, don't give up your will for his will. Look at what, you're, uh, will you, look at what you'll lose. Look at what you'll give up. I say, don't look at what you'll lose. Look at what you'll gain doing the will of the Father. I'm glad that I was taught from a boy that these hands are not mine, but they belong to God. These feet are not mine. We learned songs in school that talked about in every part of the body. We don't belong to God. We belong to Him. And the joy of life is doing the will of God. I remember as a teenager processing all of that in mind, doing God's will or my will. I thought about different professions. I thought about different uh, occupations. I thought about different activities, things that I would like to do, things that I would enjoy doing. And then one night on a Sunday night, I, I was 16 years old, not hardly 17. I was driving a van and taking folks home from church. And I remember that night as I had dropped off everyone in their homes. Uh, uh, and on my way home and driving the van alone, I pulled over beside the road and I looked to a, a star-filled sky. And I said, Lord, I want to give my life to you. And that night I surrendered my life to the will of God. I can't imagine a life having more joy and more satisfaction than doing the will of God. To be quite honest with you, I'm surprised at God's will. I'm delighted in God's will. I, I, I'm amazed. I'm amazed at what God lets me do. I get to go to Iowa and preach in a church Monday and Tuesday night in Iowa. I'll fly home early Wednesday morning. I think I get home at 11 o'clock Wednesday morning. Thursday, I fly to New York just outside of Buffalo. And I'll preach in, 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 in that church Thursday night and Friday night. I'll come home Saturday morning and prepare for the day on Sunday and make calls and visits and get ready. And then next Monday, I'll fly to another town. And I'll preach Monday and Tuesday. I'll tell you where it is, but I can't remember. The third week of April, I do remember that schedule, Monday and Tuesday, I preach in Lexington, Indiana. On Tuesday morning, I'm driving up to Illinois and preaching in the National Revival Fires Conference and back for the service on Tuesday night in Indiana. I'm driving home Wednesday morning, I get to preach here Wednesday night. Early Thursday morning, I fly to Dallas, Texas, and I preach Thursday morning in the Baptist Leadership Conference and Thursday night, in, the, in, in that conference and I'll come home Friday morning I get to go again Monday and Tuesday you say preacher how you do it it's not how I get to serve God it's a wonderful life it's beyond my imagination and if you're here this morning you've never thought about God's will for your life I don't know what God's will is specifically for you but I know he has one and there's a great joy in doing the will of God that's Mount Gethsemane then there's the Mount of Olives it's here that the Lord Jesus stood and ascended back to heaven. Acts chapter 1. I love those words. 
And I would have been doing the same thing. Jesus was standing there, and all of a sudden, he's gone up. And they're just standing there looking. Wouldn't you be? I would. I mean, here Jesus standing here, and all of a sudden, he's gone. And they asked the question, why stand you here gazing? Well, I'll answer that question. I'm looking to see where Jesus went. Why stand you here gazing? Then he said this, this same Jesus that you've seen go shall so come in like manner. Hey, friend, when he comes back, he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. Hey, he's coming back. He's not sending a limousine. He's not sending a chauffeur. He's coming himself to receive us. He's coming. He's coming again. And he's going to put his feet on the Mount of Olives. There's a whole lot more I could say about it, but I've got two more mountains. There's Mount Megiddo. There's Mount Megiddo. You say, preacher, what happened in Mount Megiddo? Nothing yet, but it's going to. In fact, I read about some of it in the news in the last few days. You see, the nations of the north, they're going to eventually come down to get the wealth that's there in Jerusalem and Israel. That's what they're going to attempt to do. The armies of the West and the nations of the West are going to come against the armies and the nations of the North. And I understand, I don't, and, and, and all of the detail, I don't know exactly how it's going to work out, but I see it working. Ah, but dear friend, as they come down on the nation of Israel and the people of God, those of us that have gone to heaven, we're going to come back with Jesus riding on a white horse. I think I'll name mine Trigger. That's original, isn't it? I always did want to be able to ride a, ride a horse and be able to walk the next day. We're going to come back. Somebody said last week the price of gas. No wonder we're all riding horses when Jesus comes back. We're going to come back riding, white, uh, riding uh, uh, horses and following the king. Hey, I want to tell you something this morning. I know the circumstances around us are difficult and they may be in your personal life this morning. Ah, but child of God, look forward to that mount, to Mount Megiddo when the devil says, I'm going to win. And God said, oh, no, you're not. And he's going to come and he is going to win that battle, by the way, which will take us to the final mountain. And that's Mount Zion. And that's the mountain of victory where Christ will set up his rule and reign for a thousand years on this earth. Uh, he'll rule and reign. That, that's worth getting saved for, let alone eternity. You see, every mountain in the Bible is this. And I have to close. This. Every mountain in the Bible is this, a challenge. I remember going up mountains and growing up where I did in southeast Kentucky. If you weren't going up a mountain, you were going down one, if you are going anywhere. And I remember going with my grandfather. We'd climb those mountains, and, and he would tell me stories about that. Every mountain represents a challenge. Every mountain represents a difficulty. But every mountain also represents a victory in our life. Folks, this is a book of victory. We're on the winning side. If you're not a child of God, you ought to trust him as your Savior today. If you are a child of God, I say to you, let's press on. I read these verses as I close. 1 John 5, 4 and 5. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he? that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God.
Look at verse number 11. And this is a record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Look at this, and I'm finished. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know. Not think, not hope, not wish that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. Press on, dear friend. Press on by faith in God. Press on. A mountain is a challenge, but it's also an opportunity for victory. Stand with me, if you will. We're going to talk more about mountains and challenges and victories. Christ didn't die for you to be a failure. He died for you to live in victory. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. In just a moment, he's going to sing the invitation song. If you're here today and you've never received Christ as Savior, please trust him today. Just, just when he begins to sing, just step out of your seat wherever you are. Make your way to the front there, men and ladies that are here. They'll take the Bible. They'll show you verses just as I have this morning. You can receive Christ and know without a doubt that heaven is your home. You're here this morning, you're a Christian, but you're, you're struggling because of tough or difficult circumstances in life. I say to you this morning, don't give up. Press on. Have faith in God. Lord, bless the invitation, I pray. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the mountains, but thank you for the victories that come from these mountains. And you made us victors in you. That's our invitation. In Jesus' name I pray.